0: On September 11th, 2001, our American way of life was attacked. Everyone remembers where they were that day and how their lives changed from that moment on. The American Legion is committed to honoring the memories of those we lost on 9-11 and in the global war on terrorism that followed. As part of that commitment, the American Legion Tango Alpha Lima podcast presents a special series, 9-11-20-2020. 20 episodes in the 20 days leading up to the 20th anniversary Of the attacks that changed the world each of the 20 guests delivers a unique first-hand perspective on 9-11 and our nation's response here is one of those remarkable
1: stories all right on today's episode in our continuing series on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 we're joined by dr tony brooks after enlisting in the U.S. Army in 2003 at the age of 21, Dr. Tony Brooks attended and graduated infantry and airborne school, followed by a four-week Ranger indoctrination program, officially checking into the 2nd Ranger Battalion in Fort Lewis, Washington in September of 2004. He deployed to eastern Afghanistan in April 2005, based at Bagram Airfield. His first mission, his first mission was Operation Red Wings 2. Tony subsequently deployed to the Ramadi region of Iraq in 2006 and 2007. He's now an owner and operator of a chiropractic clinic. He was featured on a Discovery Science Channel episode of Black Files Declassified and a Smithsonian Air and Space article as a subject matter expert on Operation Red Wings and is also featured in the Backbone docuseries. Tony and his wife Heidi have two children and live in Montgomery, Texas, although you're joining us today at least from... Washington State. Uh, Tony uh, was inspired to serve by what he calls the holy shit act of terrorism that occurred on 9-11. He was an 18 year old student at the University of Arizona who had not previously considered military service. His out of the blue decision surprised everyone he knew. He joined the Army Rangers and was on one of the teams involved in the rescue of Marcus Luttrell. Also, he has a new book about his experiences that he will talk about here as we go through the day. Tony, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate uh, you spending some time with us. Uh,
0: outstanding. Thanks for having me. It's been fun.
1: All right. So tell us, uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's that's got to be a heck of a first mission. So talk, talk us through your reaction to 9-11 and how you found yourself in the middle of Operation Redway.
0: Yeah, so 9-11, you know, Obviously, September 11th, I was a brand new college student. That was my first year in college. I was at the University of Arizona in Tucson. Uh, get ready for the gym. That was kind of my routine. I would go to the gym early in the morning and I turned on the TV to see the Twin Towers on fire. And, you know, instantly, obviously, I was captivated and stunned, and I couldn't leave that TV. And it changed everything really at that moment um i didn't really care about anything else at the moment i didn't care about going to class i didn't care about going to the gym it felt like we were under attack and that's my instant gut feeling was that oh my gosh i'm witnessing world war three possibly and then there was the little i think everyone's heard of the falling man the falling man was um uh, i guess it turns out he was a cook But he uh, jumped from the tower when his floor was completely engulfed in flames. And the television accidentally caught it. And they didn't realize what it was at first. They thought it was a piece of debris. And then they quickly like zoomed away. Um, I think that was the moment that really, really changed it for me. I thought to myself, if this guy, you know, his best option was to leap from this building, there's something really wrong here, and you know, at, within probably hours, I was calling my dad, telling him, "I think I'm going to leave college. I think I'm going to go join the military." And uh, my dad, being the guy that he is, he's obviously obviously my dad, very analytical, and he said, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. You, you know, you're in college. You know, you're doing a great job, which I wasn't, but he didn't know that yet." Um, and he said, why don't you wait till your first year is complete and then join the military? And uh, I hemmed and hawed as a typical 19-year-old, 18-year-old will do and um, told him, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll wait the, the year and um, join the military. Well, obviously, we all know how that played out. You know, we went to war in Afghanistan. Uh, an awesome movie came out months later. I think it was one month, actually. Was uh, Black Hawk Down, and when Black Hawk Down came out, I was one of the first ones in the theater to watch it, and that really inspired me to want to be not only in the military but a U.S. Army Ranger. And then we had follow up quickly follow on to that. You had Pat Tillman uh, becoming an Army Ranger, so I pretty much had my path set at that point. That's uh, that's how I ended up, you know, joining the military, uh, kind of against my parents' wishes. They didn't really encourage me not to do it but you could tell that they were very hesitant when i when i told them
1: yeah my parents were the same way when i chose military college they were they were flummoxed but so it goes so I, when, when you went in you went in a direct ranger contract i did i was i was
0: i'm a tip i'm a pretty stubborn guy so i went into the, the recruiter and i said this is what i want and if i don't get it i'm not going and that wasn't really the truth but i I played, played the hard game. Right. And um, it took a little bit to get that contract and he had to make some calls over to, you know, special operations command and they don't really release a lot of those contracts. So finally I did get it, but I had to wait. It was a waiting period of like almost eight months before I could actually go to basic training. So, you know, I did, I was exactly on the, it was called the option 40 contract.
1: Yeah. And and so then, uh, so you get to the, you get to the unit and then you were, what, with the 2nd Battalion for like a year?
0: Yeah, I got there in September and we deployed actually in April. So, you know, uh, the training cycles at at the 75th Ranger Regiment are very intense. They know they're deploying regularly, so they uh, have a very strict training schedule and it's very, very, very busy.
1: And we were. We I, got, were talk- I got a
0: full cycle of training, actually.
1: Yeah, and we were talking before we came on, and you've got the picture of the uh, of the birds in the background there. And uh, you guys' bird was the one to the right. And mine was the one to the left. You were the special ops QRF, and I was on the other one. But uh, as we had talked, you guys didn't even have any maps when you went. So tell us tell us about how what you knew when you knew it, and where you ended up.
0: Yeah. So when we uh, went out for Operation Red Wings, we, you know, we were spun up relatively quickly. Uh, when you lose a helicopter in Afghanistan, pretty much all hands go on deck. Yep. And at the time, all we had for Intel was satellite imagery. And satellite imagery is great for a lot of things. But it's not great at telling you what the terrain looks like. And that was kind of our oh shit moment where we when we hit the ground, we realized we knew it was gonna be bad terrain, but we didn't know it was gonna be this bad. Um, and it took us almost 24 hours to finally get onto that mountain due to weather and other logistical army things.
1: <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit about what you guys went through with Red Wings. How, how long were you out there looking for Marcus?
0: Um, we were on Operation Red Wings for a total of a week and we we got there the day after turbine 33 had crashed and recovered the entire helicopter and all of the occupants. And then that's when the, that's the first time I heard that there could be someone alive. So it was days into the mission before we even knew someone might be alive. We, after we recovered the helicopter, we fully expected that we were only on a recovery mission, not an actual rescue. So When we got that call that a villager had gone onto a base and and said they have an American. We started moving a lot faster at that point. Um, Everyone on the ground was basically at a running pace everywhere we were going. The craziest patrol you've ever been on because you can't safely move as fast as we were moving. Um, But we did it because we knew that every single second mattered.
1: Yeah. So, and uh, how, how did it kind of wrap up for you guys? When did, when did they pull you out before they found Marcus, after they found Marcus?
0: Yeah, it was actually days after Marcus had been extracted from, um, Salarban, which is the little town he was found in. But once he was extracted, um, we were still looking for his recon team. So we were running around the mountain, still trying to find, you know, his three other members of his recon team. And it was days later that we found them. Um, it was about six or seven days after that, that the very last man was found on the mountain. So it, it was almost two full weeks of searching wow. for everybody.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I didn't go there. So, but I know from the maps, it, it didn't look like uh, particularly good terrain to be humping around it.
0: No, it, I mean, I've, I've, gone through terrain in my days. I mean, we always joke about army ranger school and mountain phase, how, how tough that is. Well, that was nothing compared to this. I mean, you get up in those mountains, you know, you're at 9,000 feet. Right. And you're carrying 50 to 100 pounds of gear and you're expecting to be ambushed at any moment. So it's, um, it's a different feeling when you're, when you're up there that high with that much gear and that much unknown.
1: All right, Ashley, you are
2: up. All right. So I'm really interested um, in the book that you wrote. Um, I know that we've kind of already touched base on, you know, the, the rescue mission. And I wanted to hear what your inspiration was for writing down this story, which is incredibly remarkable. But I wanted to hear kind of how it came to fruition and kind of the steps you took and if that was even therapeutic as well, right? So like biblio bib, is it bibliotherapy? I believe is the correct word. But I was just curious as to like how you got started, how it felt when it was finished, and the in between.
0: Yeah, so you know, I I always wanted to write about it. You know, from it's probably the past decade, I've been saying I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Um, honestly, the the pandemic was a. Uh, a very big catalyst because everything kind of shut down. It's like, well, this is a good time to knock it out. Um, but really the, the ultimate reason why I wrote it was for my children. I have two young kids, a seven-year-old uh, son and a four-year-old daughter. And I started, the more I thought about it, I'm like, I'm never going to be able to tell them this story. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a barbecue and we're sitting down, never going to be able to really tell them how I felt, you know, what the terrain was like. All I can get all that in a conversation. It's awkward. No one really wants to have that conversation with their family. Um, so the therapeutic part was I wanted my kids to know what their dad had experienced. Um, we never know how long we're going to be on earth and how long we're going to be here. So putting it down on paper was, I mean, it's my way to, Tell my kids, you know, this is this is your dad. This is what he did. Uh, these are the men he served with. These are the men that uh, he helped bring home. And you know, the process really was kind of a barn burner. We really moved very fast. I worked with Bob Welch, who is a very seasoned author, an amazing journalist, and he really, really helped me pull the story out of me. Um, you know, when you're writing a book and you're putting this stuff on paper, it's it's never what you envisioned when you finish. I tried to write this book without talking about myself at all. (laughs) And Bob said, you know what, this is, this is not working. You got to let the audience know who's writing. Everyone wants to know who's writing the book. So I had to bring in stuff about myself and that's um, not easy thing to do to talk about your, your flaws and your weaknesses and Um, you know, put it on paper for everyone to see. So everyone knows about my life now. Um, But it was a fun process. I mean, you learn about yourself. It's very therapeutic. I think veterans that are watching this, whether you write a book or not, doesn't matter. But putting your thoughts and your feelings and, you know, what you experienced on paper, very therapeutic. And to be perfectly honest, I think most people want to hear these stories. They don't want to hear necessarily just the fighting stories. They want to hear what goes on in, in the war zone.
2: Well, thank you for sharing. And I do appreciate that as someone who is an avid reader and storyteller. I enjoy when Other folks can find solace in in putting, you know, all those things that go on in our brains onto paper and then having something as a a form of legacy as well, not only for your children, but could inevitably become a survival or a page out of of your book to someone else's survival guide in a way. So I think that's very, very poignant. Thank you. All
3: right, Jeff, you are up. Okay. I am a Marine. I don't do a lot of reading. That's, we'll (laughs) leave that to Ashley and Mark. I did, and I am in Hollywood, so I did see that you are telling the story in various mediums, and you do, when you go on TV, you do have to talk about yourself, so can you talk about these uh, programs, the Discovery, the Discovery Science Channel, um, and uh, Smithsonian Aaron's, oh, that's an article, but can you you talk about the different ways that you tell the story, and, and what impact do you hope that has on people?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think for me um, now I'm considered a writer. Um, I never thought of myself as a writer, by the way, but um, I think putting it on paper is really for me the the best way because you can put more details. You know, I've done, I've done TV shows, I've done a documentary and you really have to, they cut you up too much to where you can't really explain things where in a book you have an endless amount of pages to just keep going and explaining and the smells the sounds you know so i i prefer in writing um i love the cinematic movie as much as anybody else but i think the book is where where you really learn all the angles of of a story
3: okay so when you were writing when you were writing the book uh does because a, a lot of a lot of what i i love to hear from these stories is the catalyst for for everything and i don't know if you captured um that 18 year old kids thoughts and and uh <laughs> actions and it, are are those things in the book
0: absolutely yeah so I talk about at the beginning of the book about how angry I was at at 9-11 and how I school was just I was just going through the motions I didn't care there was no there was no passion there I was I would party and then go show up to class and you know I was a great student I I was a, a student most of my life well I got C's and D's that first year because I didn't care there was nothing that excited me at school Especially when I knew a war was going on. So I did capture that and I tried to kind of put that across That You know, even, even the best students, which I was at the time, have horrible moments. So if there's a student out there or a veteran who's struggling with school, they probably just haven't found their passion yet. and It's okay. Um, it gets better.
3: Right. So your passion certainly took you on uh, a journey that most will never experience, except through your books. So, uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably have to end up reading it. it was, which happens with these with these guests is your stories are too they're too important to not uh, consume in some way. So uh, so thank you for that and thank that 18 year old kid for for stepping up because not that many not that many can walk away from college uh that lifestyle and and then go into the military which is a completely different lifestyle so that that i mean we talk about like all of your accomplishments but that is that's a that's a big huge one especially when you're getting information from those that care about you uh, that's trying to get you to do something different than what is drawing you to it and that's a pretty powerful it's pretty powerful story so tony what's uh
1: what's up for you next what uh what are we where are we going from here
0: i'm actually so funny you mentioned that i was you know i said i said i live in texas but i'm in seattle i'm moving to texas right now currently so um My life is rapidly changing. I'm moving from the Seattle area to Montgomery, Texas. And uh, starting a new clinic out there. Um, So I really want to focus on helping veterans. So moving to Texas was a no brainer. A lot more veterans out there. And um, I'm getting into the education uh, world where I want to start educating veterans on how to live a healthier lifestyle. Um, I feel like i found something that's powerful and I have the connection to the veteran community and I want to help people live healthier lives because our veterans if if you look across the board veterans are generally a pretty sick population Um, and the VA system is not necessarily um, helping us in that regard so I want to kind of fill that gap of hey this is how we take charge of our health this is how we improve our lives Um, you don't learn that in the service, you you know you you get fed your meals and you eat it. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, you have to shower in a few minutes and and move on, right? So, I want to teach people how to take care of themselves so that they can live a long, happy, uh, fulfilling life after they leave the military.
1: All right. So, give us uh, where can we find your book and where can we find out more about you and uh, Operation Redwing?
0: Yeah, so Leave No Man Behind is going to be available. It is available currently at any major retail, retail bookstore. Um, your local bookstores can get it for you very easily. You just ask them because they may or may not have it in stock right out of the gate. Um, my website is drtonybrooks.com or drtonybrooks.com. You can follow me there. You can purchase the book. You know, I'm writing blogs. I'm out there to help you. So if you ever need a veteran mentor or anything like that, reach out to me. Um, I'm there. I'm there for my fellow veterans, and I just hope everybody realizes that we're all in this together.
1: Absolutely. Well, we very much appreciate your time, Tony. It's uh, it's been great to to hear you talk about this. Everyone else, uh, remember to subscribe to the Tango Afalima podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts, and while you're there, review and rate us. If you want to send us feedback, you can comment on YouTube or Facebook. You can send us an email at tangoalphalima at legion.org. We'll be back with another 9-11 story tomorrow. See you then. Tony, thank you so much. Jeff, Ashley, I will see you guys later. Bye. Thank you.